Lent began on February 17th. It was a Wednesday. And it goes all the way through Easter. Our Easter this year is called Ransomed. Perhaps you saw some cards coming in, or you'll see some cards in in the information pockets on the chairs. But we are so excited to be able to, well, in some ways, celebrate a death, which feels a little odd, but really party when Jesus is resurrected. These 40 days... Well, it's a time to encourage you to prepare and to actually go deeper with our Lord. We're really excited to help you walk on this journey if you'd like that. So let us know, and we'll encourage you the rest of the time as you begin to see how big and wonderful and great our God is and his love for each one of us. Before we dig in today, let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Creator, Sustainer, we come before you this day. You, Lord, are a compassionate God. You are a gracious God. You are slow to anger. You're abounding in love, and you're faithful. We approach your throne of grace today, this morning, boldly. We know that the death on the cross paid our debt and reconciled us. We know there's forgiveness because of your shed blood. We ask you, Lord, not to remember the sins of our youth, the abuses of your mercy and your means, our neglect of your great salvation. It is through Jesus, our Savior, our Master, that we return to you, that we are able to listen to you, Father. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are convicted, that we are able to understand the Holy Scriptures, and that we're strengthened and encouraged. We would ask, Father, for a fresh wind of your spirit to sweep over us. We gather here to worship, to celebrate you. We are so dependent on you for everything, Father. There's a fullness of joy in your presence. This day, Lord, we, we know that our country is in turmoil. We pray for our government. We pray for our leaders. We pray, Father, for the laws that are about to be passed, that you would superintend, that you would give our officials wisdom to make great choices for them and for our country. We pray, Father, for the church spread out all over this land. But Specifically, Father, right here in our neighborhood, we we pray for Fierce Church and for LifeBridge and for Connection. Lord, we pray for our church, the army of children's volunteers who are downstairs teaching our kids and serving them. We pray for all those involved in technology. 
for the leadership of all of our groups and all of our ministries. We ask you, dear God, that you would give them a fresh perspective and energy to do the task that you have called each one of them to do. We pray, Father, for our online community, for those, Lord, who are worshiping away from us today. Pray that you would encourage their hearts and strengthen them as they are apart from the family, from the community. We love you, Lord. We are grateful again to come into your presence and ask that you would do something so very, very special, that there would be life change. We ask that, Father, today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, you can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. But before we get there, let me again briefly give you an overview. Jesus was just about to go back to glory. And he had his disciples around him. And he told them to go back and to wait. So 120 people went back to Jerusalem. And they waited. They waited for the Holy Spirit. No one could have imagined that day. When the Spirit arrived, the place shook, and he descended into each of the believers with flames of fire. Thousands at that time came to faith in the same way that we come to faith. They were told about the Messiah. They were told how he came to be our sacrifice for all of the sin that we've committed that separates us from God. There was a great response. And then all of a sudden, the Acts 2.42 community happened. There was teaching and fellowship and meals and prayers all over Jerusalem and eventually over Judea and Samaria and the world. But we know, even with all this happening... The enemy was at work, but God's plan couldn't be thwarted. There was hypocrisy and dishonesty that arose within the church, and these sins were judged. There was conflict arose, and even in that, God was able to use it and resolve it, and the church kept advancing. But every day there seemed to be a little bit of a shockwave. And they continued when one of their leaders died in a stoning death. But the church at that moment scattered. Last week our focus was on Philip. Philip was one of these scattered heroes. God directed Philip to a despised people group and then to a high-ranking foreign officer and then finally to coastal Israel. But lives were being changed and transformed all around as the gospel was being shared. The Spirit of God powerfully moved and the church was expanding. 
This week, another shock for the church. But I want to at least ask your grace right in the beginning. This story is about Saul. But in my head, I keep saying Paul because his name eventually changes. So if I get really excited and use the P word instead of the S word, cut me some grace, okay? But this is definitely about Saul, all right? Let's go. Chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. For they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Paul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. Verse 9, he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. This is a well-documented story. I'm sure so many of you have heard about Paul's conversion. But it's told not only here in Acts chapter 9, but eventually when we get near the end of Acts, he's going to tell his story in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. Which reminds me, sometimes we think our stories of transformation are rather dull. I mean, some of us got saved at a very early age maybe four or five and six. And, and I'm sure when you start telling that story, I was such a sinner. At five, oh, but God, he saved me from my wretched self. Now, that's probably all true. It is. But we somehow like hearing the stories when we're 25 and 26 and we've already been incarcerated for, you know, 13 years. And we meet Jesus and he changes us. The truth is, whether you've been saved since 5 or 26, this is an amazing story of God's grace. Because Sin is sin, and sin separates us and disqualifies us from enjoying abundant life and eternal life. So this story that may seem so very trivial to you is an amazing story, and Paul was excited to tell it. And I want to encourage you to tell that story of God's grace. 
Because realistically, you were dead. And when you came to Jesus, you became alive. That is a pretty amazing story. But in verse 1, we see that Saul is on mission to kill the Lord's followers. Not just even put them in prison. He just wanted to wipe them out. Now let me share with you, Damascus was now in his crosshairs. Jesus' followers had made some major advancements there. And although there was a Jewish population in the tens of thousands at this moment, he knew that Christianity was getting a stronghold. He wanted to nip the spread of Christianity in the bud. Damascus at this time was a prosperous commercial center on a main trade route probably about 140 miles away from Jerusalem. So if you walked it, at least back then, it would probably be a six-day journey. So here's Saul. He's approaching Damascus. And the Bible says a brilliant light in a voice. Now it's interesting here, but, but Saul fell to the ground. And he heard a voice indicting him for persecuting me. Not them, not the church, or even my church, but me, me. Well, Jesus wasn't around then. And it should probably strike you a little odd. He was persecuting the church. Jesus saw the church as a living part of himself. Do, do you get this? To persecute or divide the church is an assault against the Son of God. In Acts chapter 26, when Saul was recounting this story to King Agrippa, the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then in that context, we get a little bit more as he's sharing. God said this, it is useless for you to fight against my will. Or literally, in some of your translations, it would say something like this. Paul was using an idiom. And he said this, it's just useless for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> the goads. This was a sharp pointed instrument that would keep cattle moving in the right direction. And if they didn't cooperate, you would basically give them a little persuasive poke. How about that? And what God was saying, Saul, I almost said the P word, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against these goads. You can't kick against these pointed sticks. You're not listening to me. You're only hurting yourself by resisting. I think this is encouraging because I don't think this was the first time that God, well, tried to break into Saul's life. I think he was persistent. I do. Maybe one of the big moves happened back in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, when he was holding the coats, and he saw a Christian literally get stoned to death. And there was no guile or malice 
at all. I'll bet that began to soften Saul's heart. (laughs) What's this all about? But the scriptures tell us that God was relentless here. And it's interesting that Saul basically says, uh, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, sir? Who are you? He was asking the heavenly being to identify himself. So this is more than a polite sir, but it's certainly not a Christian profession of Jesus as your Lord. And then this voice says something that should shake him up, and it did. I am a Jesus. I am Jesus. <laughs> now get up and go into Damascus, and you'll be told what to do. The scriptures tell us that the men were speechless, and Saul quickly realized that he was blind. Now, again, some commentators might even just say at this time, well, maybe this is God's chastisement, but I don't think it really was. I I think God was really showing Saul his spiritual, bankrupt, pre-Christian condition. I think he was reminding Saul how his present powerlessness and brokenness would affect him. And that literally understanding of what he was called to do, he didn't have a clue. I think Saul resisted. But this was absolutely God moving in in a new and a fresh and a dynamic way. Scriptures tell us that his men led Paul to Damascus where he did not eat or drink for three days. What was going on in Saul's mind? We don't know. We don't. But we know this. Saul's worst imaginable nightmare had come true. Discovering that Jesus was the Messiah. That Christianity was true. That the gospel was God's truth. Oh boy. And that he had been fighting God. It had to shake him up. Imagine what was going through his mind as he was stumbling toward Damascus. Look at verse 10. Let's see what happens here. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. I don't know if there was hesitation in God's message at this moment. But I can imagine that Ananias took a big gulp. 
I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he could see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight sorry, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained some strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. The Lord talks to Ananias. We don't know much about Ananias, but he probably was a leader. And if he was a leader in the church, he had to be one of the targets that Paul was going after. So there's no doubt that at least logically, when God says, why don't you go to the guy that's going to incarcerate you and perhaps kill you, that there would be a big but, Lord. Lord, this is not making sense. Lord, why would I do that? But then the Lord assured Ananias that Saul was his chosen instrument. You know, right there, Ananias had to take a gulp. Like, what are you, what'd you just say? Maybe I'm not hearing well, God. This is the biggest creep of all creeps. This is the greatest thorn in the early church's flesh. And what'd you just say? He's a chosen instrument? God, 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 God. Oh boy. Oh boy. The word literally here is used as vessel. You're a chosen vessel. Vessels are genuinely crafted to serve specific functions. God made Saul a certain way and had directed all of his life for a purpose. Let me just remind you, Saul at this time was a highly trained Jew with a first-class education under the great rabbi Gamaliel. He was reared near a famous Greek academy in Tarsus. He was a Hebrew scholar with Roman citizenship who could speak with authority in both the Hebrew and the Roman worlds. Whoa! Maybe God wasn't making a mistake. This guy, he was primed for this. God knew what he was doing. And in his plan, Saul was going to preach to the Jews, to the Greeks, and to kings. 
Now, let me just say this, is that the call to ministry is not based on the whims of men, but on the sovereign choice of God. If God calls you to ministry, it is humbling and not to be taken lightly. So against all logic... Ananias obediently, let me just say that again, Ananias obediently went and found Saul. Ananias was strengthened by the direct word from the Lord and overcame his fears as he departed and entered the house of Judas. After laying his hands on him, he's a brother, Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. In Acts 22, remember I said there's different accounts of this one, when again Paul was talking to other leaders, sharing his story, he reveals something else to us and talks a little bit more about his commissioning. All right, and let me read that for you. It's Acts 22, verses 14 and 15. And Ananias said at this point, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, Jesus, and to hear him speak. And here's the part. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. He used the term Brother Saul. Ananias showed his and the church's acceptance of him by addressing him as a Christian. It had to take guts to even acknowledge this. I'm sure every one of them knew of Christians who had been incarcerated or maybe even killed by this man. Ananias clearly spoke truth into Saul, and Saul listened. He was filled with the Spirit before going out and being baptized. He took no time letting people know that I am a follower of Jesus. I was once dead, and now I am alive. I want to proclaim it to everyone. Let's go get baptized. Now, the scriptures tell us here that Saul enjoyed the community for a few days. Maybe it was for the very first time he had a taste of what Christian fellowship was like. And he took food, and he was strengthened. Now, I think several days with the disciples allowed Saul to celebrate his conversion and minister to his needs. Can you imagine the overwhelming joy and the incessant praise to God at this moment? I I mean, no matter who was in the room, they kept staring at Saul. They kept looking at him. They couldn't believe it. Just days before this, he was incarcerating Christians. Just 
days before this, he had all authority to bring people back to Jerusalem and punish them for being part of the church. He kept looking around. God, your grace is overwhelming. Thank you, Lord. God, you saved the creep of all creeps. Thank you, Lord. God, I never saw this coming. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've opened my eyes. There is no one too far gone. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, can you imagine this guy is part of your family? Thank you, Lord. Lord, this is so good. Lord, did you hear me say thank you? Can you? Oh, Lord, I can't believe it. You know, it kind of taught me Saul's probably no different than anybody else, ultimately. I wonder if we really, truly thank God every time someone comes into faith. A celebration time. A sitting around in the room. Oh, thank you, God, thank you. This person, he was dead just moments ago. Yes, he's alive. That's why baptism services are so amazing. We've got two on the list for our next one already. If you have not been baptized and you want to be able to publicly be able to share in front of our community that you're a follower of Jesus, oh, let us know. We'll be scheduling another one soon. I'd love to have a bunch who have not been baptized and want to say, that's the next step for me. Wow. You know, one sure mark of a transformed life is the desire to be with fellow Christians. Believers can say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a friend to anyone who fears you, anyone who obeys your commandment. Now, the hard thing is when folks eventually come to faith and when folks start getting into community and when folks start being part of small groups in the church, sometimes they forget a dying world that are outside these walls. So God is not just calling us to community, but God is calling each one of us to community in order for us to be more effective light and salt in our community. Let's look at Acts chapter 9, verse 20. This story gets better. You guys are excited, aren't you? I can tell. Some of you have masks on, so maybe I can't tell a little bit there. But I, I think you are. It's okay to get excited here. All right? Verse 20, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he indeed is, or he is, okay, I'm so excited. He is indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. 
After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him night and day and at the city gate so that they could murder him. But Saul was, so, but Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. He couldn't be shut up. The scripture says he immediately began to preach about Jesus. The person that totally changed him. When he writes in 2 Corinthians that every person who comes to faith is a new creation. Paul himself experienced it at this time. He indeed is the son of God. He's the long awaited Messiah. You see, those transformed by the saving grace of God cannot stop speaking about it. And Saul was no exception. After just a few days of fellowship with the saints, he immediately began to proclaim Jesus as Messiah in the synagogues. He was obedient to God's will. And the scriptures tell us all who heard were amazed. Has Saul become one of them? Is he really a Christian? I, I, can't, I can't believe my ears. I, I, I just can't. But the shocked Christians were surprised by his conversion. But also, even the Jews were shocked. They were expecting him to take Christians prisoner, not preach about Jesus Christ in their synagogues. Let me just go on a side note here. I think the Spirit transformed Saul. He transformed Saul in two specific ways. First of all, I think he took Saul's natural strengths and refined them. Saul was a leader. He was gifted. He was tenacious and motivated. He was a man already of strong convictions, a self-starter, bold, and a profoundly gifted thinker and speaker. And God used all these things in kingdom work. Secondly, I think the Holy Spirit also eliminated some undesirable characteristics and replaced them with desirable ones. He replaced Saul's cruel hatred with love. His aggressive spirit with peace. His rough, hard-nosed treatment of people with gentleness. And his pride with humility. It's something only God could do. Saul's preaching, is told, is um, preaching and debate became more and more powerful. Saul's skills shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And then you add to it the Holy Spirit empowerment. Remember, he had the finest education that first century Judaism could give. They could not hope to match his knowledge of the Scripture, for he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the Old Testament backward and forward. Once he understood who Jesus was, he had the key that unlocked the whole Old Testament. 
he was able to use his vast knowledge of those scriptures and his spirit-controlled brilliance as well as the truth of Jesus' miracles and words and death and resurrection to prove that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And I tell you, if there was ever a desire for me wishing YouTube was alive and well back then, would that have been amazing? To see this transformation Now, many of you might be a little confused, but if you look in your Bibles between verses 22 and 23, I don't know if you're just going to take my word for it or you're going to do some research here, but really three years elapse between verses 22 and 23. Luke's phrase in our scripture, after a while, is literally clarified for us in Galatians chapter 1. And I'm going to read that to you. Galatians chapter 1. So right after verse 22, this is what happens. All right, verse 15. But even before I was born, Paul writes to the Galatian church, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace, that it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, all right, at his conversion, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia. And later I returned to the city of Damascus. That's verse 23. Then three years later I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. So Saul, the best we can tell, was in Arabia and Damascus for at least three years after his conversion. Probably more in Arabia than Damascus. But he returns to Damascus in verse 23. His preaching is powerful, and the Jews at this time have come together, and they want to kill him. How's that sound? I mean, is that familiar? So Saul found out about this, and Saul was lowered in a basket in order to escape, and then he goes to Jerusalem. Look at Acts chapter 9. Starting at verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he truly had become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had uh, seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. 
the church, then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Can't be too hard on the believers in Jerusalem. Again, they had many people who were probably in prison and maybe lost their lives as a result of Saul. So the reception was quite cold until, well, someone who was trusted. His name was Barnabas. He had seen Saul. He had heard about Saul. And he wanted to make sure the apostles understood So at this time, Saul stayed with the apostles and began preaching boldly about Jesus. Well, as soon as that happened, his life was at stake again. So he disappeared to Syria or Sicilia area, okay? And we find out back in Galatians chapter 1, he was probably gone from three to about five years. Again, listening to God, refining his knowledge about who God was. Eventually, Barnabas, and we're going to find this in Acts chapter 11, goes and finds Saul in Tarsus and brings him back. And the missionary begins his task at that moment. Now, truth be known, the church had peace with Saul gone. The church grew stronger as believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And and let me just point out that phrase. Believers lived in the fear of the Lord. Shows us how essential the church's piety and obedience are to its well-being and advance. Thus, even our church's emphasis on Lent Not that you give up anything in order to please God. But it's a time of preparing so that each one of us might be able to search our own souls to see if there are things that are clogging up our connection with God. Maybe there's sin that, well, has crept into our life. So we have an opportunity to pray as David did. Father, search me. See if there are any wicked way in me. Father, I want to have an open conduit to you. I want to be able to hear from you. I want to be able to experience you, God. It's the whole purpose of Lent. But we see here in Acts that the Holy Spirit was active we, we saw his guidance, his encouragement, not as restrictive. And by the way, the church also grew in numbers. With Saul, the firebrand gone from the scene, both as a persecutor of the church and as a chief target of Christ-haters, things began to quiet down in Palestine, and there was peace. Oh my, I look at this and God is teaching us so much in this text once again. So much. So many things are are shouting out to me. But one of the things as I finish this part of the scripture, I think that 
Saul's conversion helps us understand discipleship. What God's plan is for believers. Take note of the events following Saul's conversion. He started off, well, coming to faith, and then he had a relationship very quickly with an older believer. Then he got involved in a community of believers. Then he spent some time, and even in his case, years of learning from God and being educated and understanding doctrine and truth. And then there was a time of ministry and reproduction. You see, we are all called to that. We're all called to making disciples, of helping people grow in their relationship with God and others. We all have. I think the stories both of Ananias and Saul illustrate the truth that transformed lives demand service to Jesus. There's times when we can give. God can save the worst of the worst the baddest of the bad. Anyone, anyone. And Saul's life was dramatically and totally transformed on the day he walked that path to Damascus. Wow. And from that moment, from that moment, the history of our world changed. That is no different than what God wants to do in every one of our lives. He transforms us so that we might be his hands at our feet. We're the ones who put restrictions. We're going to find out what kind of effect that Paul had when we get to Acts chapter 13. Because from Acts chapter 13 all the way to the end of Acts, it's Paul's adventures. It's exciting. You see, the task is unfinished. It is. The task of sharing good news and making disciples. I hope you're inspired. I hope you're excited. I hope God has convicted each one here and shown you a little bit of what he would like to do, not only in you, but in our church. The adventure continues next week as we continue opening this book of Acts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This is unbelievable. I mean, we, we open this book and we're introduced to the Spirit. We see how you transform lives how your message is revolutionary. And then, Father, as the church grows and conflicts happen, you deal with them. And then very strategically scatter your church so that people in Judea and Samaria and eventually 
to the end of the world hear your good news. And Father, you surprise us. You just do. Use ordinary people like Stephen and Philip, and they make such huge impacts. And then you take this highly educated rebel who hates you and the church. He meets you and everything changes. God, we thank you for the few verses about Ananias. One who courageously listened to you and had an opportunity to speak into the greatest, perhaps, of all missionaries. Just a simple guy. Father, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live in us. And thank you for the opportunity we have to be part of your mission. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Is there anything that God can't do? Think about that. Is there anything that God can't do? I remember in high school, I don't know, my freshman year, there's one of my classmates is one of the, probably one of the roughest kids in the school, probably uh, one of the guys you didn't really want to hang out and, you know, with if you're trying to be a good kid. And everyone was kind of, he was a fighter, he was a mauler, he was a brawler, you know, um, just making a statement in high school, right? Went away the summer, the next year we came back. Uh, he was the one who carried the Bible to every classroom through the halls. And, and you, I always thought that if, if God could t- change his life, he can do anything. And then when the next year came, there he was walking down the hall. Top book on his, in his books was the Bible. Everywhere he went was the Bible. And I think of it as a Paul experience. Because Paul did a 180 degree return. He went from all out persecuting Christians to all out serving Jesus. Is there anything that God can't do? And I believe there isn't. But it's easy to say that, and it's harder, harder to do it. So when the Holy Spirit speaks, like he spoke to Ananias, go to the street called Straight. There's a man named Saul. He's waiting for you. Wow. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you throughout the week, Go to whoever. Are you going to believe him? Because you know what? There is nothing that our God can't do. There really isn't. Would you stand with us?
surrounds me Just one word The darkness has to retreat Just one touch I feel the presence of heaven Just one touch My eyes were open to see My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that I can't do There's not a mountain that we can't move Oh, praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that a God can't do
He wants you and from me to experience his life-transforming spirit. If today, perhaps you don't know the Lord, you'd like to make that decision today. We're going to have a prayer team up here. We'd love to pray with you. Or, or maybe you're just struggling. Or maybe you'd like to praise God for something. Maybe you just want to pray with somebody. We've got a team here. Perhaps you'd like to fill out a connection card that's in front, right in one of the information packets in the chair. We'll follow up with you. But we just want to encourage you to be able to experience God's presence in a new and a fresh way. We do. There's some things that uh, we just want to remind you of. First of all, uh, if you came and desired to give, we ask you to give online. Or if you want to physically give, there are some giving columns on your way out at both doors. And may God continue to encourage you as you're generous to God's mission. We talked a little bit about Easter already. And we have so many cards that are out there for you to use, to be able to, well, give away. Invite your neighbors to. Invite some family. Invite some friends. We hope again that uh, you're able to join us both Good Friday and Easter. It is an amazing time where we are able to gather together as God's community. You can pick any of these up. Take as many as you want. We also want to just be able to share with you that this Tuesday is our corporate prayer gathering. Love for you to come and join us. It is a time again when God's people meet and we pray. It's a rich time. Meanwhile, may God encourage you this week. May God help you understand how much power and authority you have because of the Holy Spirit living in you. And would you be salt and light wherever God sends you. Have a great week, and God bless you.